So this morning, my goal is to go through the text, a uh, long text, for the plague of locusts and the plague of darkness. Uh, I'm not going to go through the scientific evidence and all that stuff. You guys can check that out yourself. There's a lot of videos available on YouTube on this, uh, especially when it comes to the plagues of Exodus. So uh, what I am going to go through is I am going to go through a couple of observations regarding these two plagues and regarding the, the text uh, and specifically uh, Pharaoh's response to these two plagues and hopefully be able to uh, extract lessons from it. Uh, that's why the title of our message is what? Lessons we can learn from locusts and from darkness. Uh, but before we get to that, let me do a quick review. Uh, those of you who missed the message uh, last week. Uh, first, I want to correct <laughs> what I said last week. I mentioned last week some names of Christian influencers, Christian leaders who uh, turned their back on the faith. Uh, during the mentioning of these names, I mentioned one name in error. A couple of people brought it to my attention. Um, and that was when I mentioned um, the name of Josh McDowell. Uh, Josh McDowell is an author, <laughs> theologian. Uh, he's actually a real Christian. <laughs> so it wasn't him that I was trying to refer to when I said that some influencers, YouTube influencers, uh, turned their back on the faith. It wasn't Josh McDowell, it was Josh Harris. Okay. The, the one who wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Who, who read that book? I know a lot of you did, yes. Good book. Wrong theology. <laughs> so, it wasn't Josh McDowell, it was Josh Harris uh, that... Uh, that's, that was the error. Uh, good thing I didn't mention Josh Calia, Josh Del Rosario. Those are, not, those are our members. They're not, uh, they haven't apostatized. Uh, so it was Josh Harris. Uh, secondly, uh, I hope you took the time to digest uh, last week's sermon. I know the topic of rep repentance is very difficult, okay? And sometimes uh, very controversial, uh, just like what J.I. Packer on our video said last week. Uh, we need to take it more seriously, uh, the topic of repentance, uh, both when it comes to our relationship with God and with our relationship with others. Okay. The reason I pointed that out is because this doesn't just talk about repentance when it comes to our relationship with God, but if, you, if that relationship is true, if that relationship is uh, growing, then your repentance and relationship towards others uh, should also grow uh, when it comes to uh, repentance. Uh, last week I said that uh, Pharaoh's repentance after the plague of hail was false because of three things. What were those three things, if you guys can remember? All start with the letter I. Indirect, incomplete, and ineffective. Right? It was false because it was indirect. It was false because it was incomplete. And it was false because it was ineffective. Uh, ultimately, true and lasting repentance can only be made possible through the grace of God and his work through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like we saw, Pharaoh already been through six plagues, and he witnessed the seventh, and he still didn't repent. 
It was still ineffective for him. So really, repentance comes and it's made possible by the grace of God uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we also need to watch out for signs of false repentance um, and to take these signs seriously and to ultimately come to God in grace uh, for humility, uh, to be able to repent uh, of our sins and, and to come to Him and ultimately, the effect of that is we're able to repent of our sins that we caused others uh, and do it sincerely, not just as a, an apology. Uh, somebody once said, um, apologies are different uh, from remorse. You can apologize all you want, but not everybody feels remorse, especially those who haven't repented <laughs> of their sins. Um, so think about that. Um, now this morning... We're going to be taking a walk through our text again. This time, we will take a look at the plague of locusts and darkness. We're going to go back to our basic Bible reading format uh, to observe, interpret, and apply. I hope you guys can follow along with me. So let's go. Uh, let's start with Exodus 10, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. Verse 2, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son, of your grandson, how I've dealt harshly with Egyptians and what signs I've, been, I've done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So uh, some of you are probably sitting there. First observation has got to be, and the Lord hardened his heart. It's been mentioned throughout these two plagues, I don't know, three or four times. Um, and I would like to take that up, okay, but... I'm afraid that there are some here who might understand it wrongly because it's a very difficult topic. Uh, why would God do that? Like, is God sadistic? He hardened his heart so that he can send all these plagues and kill all the people in Egypt? Is that God? Uh, no, that is not who God is. But if you want to know what that phrase means... Um, approach me after the service. <laughs> I'll talk about it one-on-one -on -one because I, I don't want to say general things about it here and some people take it wrong. Okay? So, um, even though, yeah, uh, it is part of the observation when you read that, that's the first thing that pops out. Um, uh, if you want to know more about it, come talk to me uh, personally. So, uh, what I want us to focus on, uh, instead of the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart, is this, uh, unlike the rest of the plagues, uh, whose main purpose is for God to be known by the Egyptians, this plague of locusts is similar in that God's purpose is still to be known. It's all going to be that way. It's always God wanting to be known, but not mainly by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And not even for Moses and Aaron and the Israelites at the time of the plague. Who is this plague for, the locusts? Who, who does God want to introduce himself to? Uh -huh. Right? This plague, notice that this God sent this plague of locusts for a specific purpose. It's so that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with Egyptians and what signs I have done among so this plague of locusts is specifically for the Israelites to retell 
and to teach their children about the awesome power of God and the salvation that can be found in Him. First thing that we can notice there. Um, obviously, the application is, is, is staring us right in the face, right? Our job as parents, our job as Christian parents, is to do the same thing. We may not have experienced a plague like this, but we all have experienced hardships in one way or another. And we are to testify about the power of and the goodness of God that we saw during those hard times and tell those to our children as we teach them about God. We were talking about this. And we were at, right, remember? I said, kids here are so privileged. Right? They have everything. They haven't experienced hardship. And that's why they feel like everything they, they deserve. Like, I deserve to get this. I deserve to get... Really? And for us who grew up in the Philippines, no. I used to play with dried dog poo because I had no toys. My parents didn't buy us any toys. <laughs> So we would just go out and play with mud and stuff that you can get your hands on. We would, right? Our, our pastime was to um, get chased by dogs. And uh, <laughs> or you go into the neighbor's house and try to pick some fruit off their tree. That was it. My G.I. Joes were cardboard. Right? And then you talk to your parents and they say other hardships, right? Oh, you're lucky. You have shoes. We walk bare feet. We didn't have refrigerators. We don't have light, electricity. No, none of that. But that you learn from that. And you're supposed to teach those to your children. And not just the experience, but how God got you through it. Right? Ultimately, that's the salvation that the plagues are pointing to. The fact that the plague of the locusts never got to Goshen, where the Israelites lived, is a testament to God's awesome power to save. And that, uh, that's the salvation power that is available through faith in the gospel of Christ. Right? That's what we should tell God. That he, before, I used to be this. Now, right, because of what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm this. But if you haven't fully repented, you can't really say that. Because they're going to go, what changed? You look the same. You do the same. You speak the same. You, right? But if you have repented, uh, truly repented, you can show that to your children. It doesn't matter how bad or how bad we think we are or how bad we think we can be. God's power to save is still more powerful. Again, going back to our topic last week, even those who repented falsely are still within the reach of God's power. I mentioned those names not to say that they're done, that they're hopeless. Uh, I mentioned the names of those influencers to just give you an example of what it looks like to be enlightened, just like Hebrews 6 says, and then turn your back to God. But it doesn't mean they're beyond salvation. We can't stare at somebody and look at somebody and judge and say, yeah, that person, no way. We can't. I've seen it over and over again. And I, uh, some of those people uh, that I kind of misjudged grew in the faith. Some of them dropped off. But I'm not saying that it's done. It's over for these people. No. 
I still have hope that God's promises are true, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So don't lose hope uh, when it comes to the salvation of God. It's that power. He is that powerful. right? Uh, and that's what we need to tell in the hearing of our sons and our daughters, grandsons, brothers, sisters, mothers. right? That's the only thing we can bring, right, that we own? That's the only thing we can bring to, to heaven. You can't bring your car, your clothes, your shoes, nothing. You can bring your family members, though. How? Share the gospel with them. Share with them. Um, share your testimony. Uh, share of God's goodness to your children. Right? Now, the question now is, uh, what are you waiting for? For those of us who haven't. What are you waiting for? Which leads us to the next observation, uh, just 3 to 6, chapter 10. Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For, for if, you refuse, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and all of the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on this earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Right? God is still pleading. But the plea is, how long? How long will you humble yourself before me? I remember my favorite boxer. Uh, no, not Manny Pacquiao. Uh, I know people, yeah, Manny Pacquiao. No, I don't like him. Uh, as a boxer, okay, not as a person. Floyd Mayweather Jr. Right? And Roy Jones Jr. Right? Those guys are... Some of the best boxers. I know Ali, Tyson. I like those two guys. There's one fight that those two guys, uh, I remember, that they kept looking at the ref. Like, ref, when are you going to stop this? I'm, I'm beating this guy. He's going to die. <laughs> he kept looking at the ref. Ref, when are you going to stop this? When are you going to stop this? God is telling Pharaoh and the Egyptians, when are you going to humble yourself before? I'm, you're, you're almost dead. Egypt is ruined. In fact, Pharaoh's people even told him, just let these people go. These people are a menace. They're destroying Egypt. When are you going to humble yourself? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Some of us are like that. I mean, how long will it take for you to Listen. I was the same way. I was telling my wife, uh, since I'm on this, you know, health, health binge now, right? Uh, I, I asked her, like, why didn't I think of this before? <laughs> what took me so long to realize that what my parents are saying, what other people are saying, Go eat vegetables, don't do this too much, exercise. 
took me years to realize that. When my wife was telling me this, let's say a year ago, I would say, no, I want to enjoy my life. I want to eat. Eat till I'm dead. But that's what it is, right? Took me that, that long. Why? So I want to hang on to that. That's the one thing that I find comfort in is food. And I want to hang on to it. I'm not going to enjoy if I do what you're telling me to do. But guess what? You enjoy it more. Right? Because you're not stuffing your face with food every time you eat good. You're like, oh, that's what rice tastes like. <laughs> it's so good. Chocolate bars. Oh, so good. Because I haven't done it in a while. I haven't eaten it in a while. It took like months of not eating it in order to be satisfied by it again, in order to, to enjoy it again. Some, if you eat the same thing over and over again and you indulge yourself, right, it comes to a point where you don't enjoy it anymore. It's just there. And again, going back to the kids here in Canada, they don't. They, they don't see the value in it anymore. They don't see the enjoyment in it because it's just available. But if it's scarce, right, and you control yourself, and I think Ecclesiastes talks about this as well, your joy for it will come back. Uh, so you don't take it for granted. Right? But it's just, I'm thinking about it, like I wasted all those years of people telling me this, and I get it now when I'm almost 50 and I'm about to die. But the point is, I got, I get it. I get what you're saying now. Vegetables are good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you can go back to my tapes and say, I hate vegetables. I, I, I listen to it. But now I can't eat without. But it's, it's like, you, does it have to, you know, take that long? Does it have to get to that point where, you know, you're almost, I, I, I told my wife this because one of my friends um, I grew up with, Brian, he got diabetes, right? He was diagnosed with diabetes, and he went on a diet, and he lost his weight. And I'm like, um, wow, that's great. So my wife's like, yeah, you, you should do it. I'm like, but I don't have diabetes. <laughs> I'm not sick. <laughs> my blood pressure is good, you know. I don't, you don't feel anything, you know. I can eat whatever. And then gout came, high blood pressure. But even those, I'm like, no, not stopping, no. Chicharong bituka every day. And then all of a sudden, it just clicked. You know, one day, I just said, you know what? I don't, I don't like feeling like this. I always feel tired. I always feel heavy. I always feel, and that's it. Stop everything. And by the grace of God, I've lost weight, and I feel better, and I'm enjoying food more, and I'm, so how long will you refuse to listen to God? He wants the best for us. He's a God of mercy. That's the reason why he keeps asking you, come on, Pharaoh, just repent. I don't want to, be, have, to, to have to send these things. But if you don't listen, if you don't let my people go, I have no choice. How long will you refuse it's a God, God's message of mercy to the 
Egyptians. Again, he, God does not delight in seeing suffering, but God is also a God of love. And because of his great love, he will go to great lengths in order to get our attention. Sometimes even allowing plagues to happen in our lives. He will, but it's for your own good. God does not want to send another plague, but because of his great love for the Israelites and his desire to save Pharaoh and the Egyptians from bondage to idolatry, God sent. What we need to see and what we need to realize about these plagues is that ultimately God is good. And despite the destruction and death that these plagues have caused, especially to the Egyptians, God is still good. Despite the problems you may be facing right now, some of us are carrying heavy burdens, God is still good. The plague of locusts may not have caused the death of humans and animals instantly, but the effect of the plague can be felt by both humans and animals long after the locusts have left. When you just focus on that and the de devastation that the locusts caused the Egyptians, and you don't know who God really is, you'll think that God is cruel. Because if you think about it, if you remember last week, I said that the plague of hail was the worst, most destructive one, right? Killed the most people, right? This one will kill even more. Although not instantly. They'll die slowly of starvation. Compassion Canada, we had a, a pastor's meeting with Compassion Canada um, to talk about COVID when COVID was at its height, at its peak. Uh, and Compassion Canada said that the locusts that invaded Africa, the one that you saw in the video, uh, two years ago will end up killing more people than COVID. That's why, yes, COVID is important. Let's deal with it now. But that is going to kill more people than COVID during, you know, in a, in a long, more longer period of time. It's not going to happen instantly, but because of the, the food source getting destroyed, it's going to kill more people through starvation. And that will happen in that region. Now, again, if you look at the plague of locusts, and, you, and your knowledge of God is based on just these plagues alone. Oh, I know that the God of the Israelites, the God that GBC worships, wow, he's, he's ruthless. Imagine sending 10 plagues. He's just ruthless. I don't want to worship that God. If that's your knowledge of God, um, and uh, that's the way you know God, then you don't know him rightly. That's, that's just not it. That's not what these plagues are about. And sometimes that's the, that's the uh, view of Christians about hell, like uh, Oprah and uh, who else? Uh, most of the people that I showed on the video and most of the people I mentioned the names of that uh, are Christian influencers that turned their back, the, the thing that got them to that point is because of their view of hell. Like they see hell as God being you know, unreasonable. Even John Piper's son, I told you about that last week, he even said that, why would a loving God send somebody to burn for eternity? Why would he do that? I can't worship a God like that. God is supposed to be a God of love. Um, but what they're missing 
uh, is that God does not send people to hell. <laughs> We're all on our way to hell, not because of God, but because of God doesn't send people to hell. Sins send people to hell. It was all because of man's inherent sinful nature that some end up going to hell. And it's because of the same sinful nature that some people think the worst of God because of the reality of hell. And that sounds dumb because you believe in hell, but you don't believe in God? What? How? how I can't even explain that. But some, thought, some people think about hell like that and they attribute it to God's being ruthless or, um, you know, merciless. If only people would take the time to know who God is. Right? Understand the God of the Bible. If only people would take their salvation seriously. And they wouldn't think that of God. If only we would take time to study Exodus, to study the whole book and get to know who God really is. You wouldn't think that about God. Because here's the thing. We all know that the only way we hear, I'm talking about Christians, we all know that the only way we can be saved is by God's grace through faith, right? But haven't you noticed or haven't you questioned this, that it's the same God who sent the plagues, that same God is the same God who also saved his people from the plagues? You can't look at God in one dimension. You can't just say, oh, God sent the plagues. He's bad. Or God saved me and he wants best for me. He will give me whatever I ask for. He's good. You can't do that. But because that's just who, that, that's not who God is. The same God who sent the plagues is the same God who saved his people from the plagues. And isn't it also interesting that if you look at these plagues, if, if these plagues are seen by someone who does not know God, these plagues can actually show the opposite of who God really is. Right? And if that's the case, then how are we able to view God rightly when looking at these plagues? And it'll go back to the first observation that I spoke of. God hardened Pharaoh's heart? If you just took it at that level, right? Face value like that, you're going to have a wrong idea of who God is. So how do we understand these plagues rightly? Reichen comments. Now we should view and understand these plagues as a display of God's absolute power over creation. Okay? Let me say that again. Reichen says... Commentary on Exodus. Uh, he says that the display of these plagues is a display of God's absolute power of creation. If that is true, if God has full authority and power over creation, Reichen goes on to say this. God can unmake what he has made. This is something that all the plagues showed by reversing the six days of creation. 
the God who made the waters turned the Nile into blood. The God who made the green things grow destroyed vegetation with hail and locusts. The God who made creatures swim in the sea and swam on dry land brought death to fish and frogs. And the God who made men and beasts sent disease and even death. Finally, the God who brought light out of darkness made light fade to black. So the focus is not on the plagues themselves and the destruction that it has caused. What is God's ultimate purpose for these plagues? Again, is for him to be fully known. So if you look at it that way, then what is God trying to communicate here? I'm in control of... Right? Imagine locusts on one side of Egypt and no locusts on the other side. God is totally control, in control of everything. So much in control that he's able to reverse creation. The magicians weren't able to do that, remember? Oh, frogs, we get more frogs. Oh, uh, whatever, uh, water into blood, we can make water into... But they can't uncreate it. But God is in total control that would. Check it out. Peter ends again. Uh, NIV commentary on this. He said, creation is at God's command both to deliver his people and to destroy his enemies. The plagues are creation reversals. Animals harm rather than serve humanity. Light ceases and darkness takes over. Water becomes a source of death rather than life. The climax of Genesis 1 is the creation of humans on the last day, whereas the climax of the plagues is the destruction of human beings in the last plague. The plagues do not run rampant, however, they eventually cease, and each cessation is another display of God's creative power. He once again, what? Restores order to chaos, as he did in the beginning. The waters are restored, pesky insects and animals retreat. Each plague is a reminder of the supreme power of God, who holds chaos at bay, but who, if he chooses, will step aside and allow chaos to plague his enemies. God can do both. What's the message? Without God, you're on the wrong side of that. That's the message. Without God, you're on the wrong side of that. Because he can do both. He did, it to Jay, he did it to Job. right? He broke him down. For what? For him to get be known again. Same thing with us. Sometimes he has to break us down. He has to break what he has created. He has to break what, what's in you in order to recreate you. Right? But that's the, also the good thing about God. He, can't, he doesn't just break things. He has the ability and the power to recreate. So even if we're, we're all broken people, there's still hope. Right? Because the God who allowed for sin to destroy his creation also had a plan to recreate it and restore it back. And he has the power to do it. The point, uh, ultimately, that I'm trying to make with these quotes is to show you that our God is powerful. He is different, set apart, holy. He's absolutely free to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And we see it through these plagues. God, the creator, uncreated through the plagues to show his power and control over creation. For what purpose? Again, for him to be known by those whom he has created.
both Egyptians and the Israelites. And I believe when you look at the plagues, the plagues that's how we ought to look at them. And let's not focus on the destruction. Let's not focus on the death. Ultimately, it's pointing to something bigger. God has the ability to create and destroy, and it shows his power even as he restores. He has the power to make the plagues come. He also has the power to make them go away. And through his power, he was able to accomplish his purpose. Amen? Now, the problem when it comes to knowing God rightly, even though he is revealing himself in all these ways, is the inherent sinful nature of all mankind. So that even though God is trying to reveal himself for who he is, our sinful nature makes us see the opposite. Right? If you were in our Sunday school, that's what we talked about. Faith always has to come with fear and understanding. Otherwise, it's not real faith. If you just say, I believe, but don't fear... You don't really believe. If you just say, I believe, but don't understand, you don't really believe. If you just say, I fear, but have no understanding and no faith, then you don't really fear. You get what I'm saying? It has to all come together, and by God's grace, he has given it to us. We just have to keep cultivating it to grow so we can understand him more. Ultimately, that's our problem. And, and that's the effect of having Pharaoh's hard heart when it comes to understanding these plagues. And because of that, Pharaoh did not fully surrender to God. Throughout a whole nine plagues, Pharaoh never fully surrendered to God, but he almost did. Right? What was God asking him to do? Let my people so Pharaoh said what? Go, but don't go too far. <laughs> go, but leave your kids and your wives, only the men. Go, take your kids, leave your livestock. He never fully surrendered to God. He just almost did. Now, that word is very dangerous. Almost. I almost made it. I almost lost weight. <laughs> almost. I almost got married. <laughs> I almost died. Very dangerous word. It means not quite, but very nearly. Almost. Not quite. I almost won the NBA championship. I lost by one point in game seven. Did you win? No. You almost won. <laughs> A lot of people, they take that, that word is, well, I almost did it, and it's good enough. No. Will you trust a pilot who go, okay, we're about to ascend 35,000 feet. 
Uh, so passing your seat belts. Uh, don't worry, I almost got my license. Or a doctor who will operate on your heart. Don't worry, <laughs> I almost graduated. No, right? But for a lot of Christians, that word almost is very comforting. Right? I almost surrendered. I almost believed. I almost. Look at Pharaoh. Every time he tried to surrender, it was just an almost. He's always holding something back. Why? Why do you think Pharaoh is holding something back from totally surrendering to God? Why did he say, go? Why did he say this? Why did he say, Lord, in verse 16, I have sinned against the Lord, your God. Almost surrendered. But he didn't. Why? Because he said what? Your God. Not my God. <laughs> your God. Almost surrendered. Verse 17, he said, uh, now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once. Almost. <laughs> forgive my sin just this one. The other time was this time. Almost surrendered. Verse 24, Pharaoh said, go and serve the Lord. Your little ones may go with you. Let your flocks remain and your herds remain behind. Almost. <laughs> why, why, why is he doing that? First, it was leave your kids and wives. Next, it was leave your... Flocks and herds. Why? Because he knows. If he let the men go, when their kids are left behind, what do you think the men are going to do? They're going to be like, okay, let's serve the Lord, but we got to get back. Because our wives are there. And our kids. Okay. So Moses said, no, we have to bring our kids. Okay, bring your kids. But no herds. How are they going to sacrifice? What are they going to eat? Who's going to carry all their stuff? So what happens? It got to come back. What's Pharaoh doing here? He's making sure that even if the Israelites were freed, they wouldn't last long in the wilderness. They'd have to come back to him. Again, Pharaoh almost surrendered. But he didn't. He wanted his cake and eat it. The reason he was just surrendering is so that get rid of these locusts, bring back the light. You guys can go, but I want you back. That's why he said, I'm not going to surrender to this almost to this God of yours. No. You surrender. I want to get what I want. So I thought of ways to do it. He bargained with God. He kept negotiating with God. A lot of so-called Christians live this way. And I, I don't think we should call them Christians. We should call them almost Christians. We live this way, right? God, I surrender everything. Don't touch my money. God, I surrender everything. But I'm going to raise my kids the way I want. 
I surrender everything, but my wife comes first. Almost. Almost. Because what is God asking of us? Does he want our money? No, he want. Does he want your kids? Does he want your family? Does he, when, he, when Jesus said, um, you know, for you to follow me, you have to hate your mother, sister, brother, life. Does he want that? Does he want us to kill ourselves? Does he, what is it? What is it that he wants? Our hearts. He wants us to follow him because in him is fullness of life. But we say almost because I'll follow you, give me all the benefits, but I get to keep this. I get to keep my time. You can't tell me what to do with my time. A lot of Christians, that's a problem. Right? Don't tell me what to do with my time. That's my time. Especially if I'm not at work. That's my time. Leave me alone. I will give on Sundays. I'll give you an hour, God. The rest is mine. Sounds like Pharaoh, right? I'll give some of my money. Don't expect me to give to the poor. I'll give it to the church. Let them deal with it. The rest, mine. I'll give you uh, my children. Sundays, you can have them. But during the week, no, I'm not going to discipline. I'm not going not gonna to do what the Bible says. I'm not. It's my children. Almost Christians. I want to show you a video. Um, it's, I, sh I, so I showed this to the young people. One of the most dangerous terms in English. Uh, <laughs> here, video. Uh, I showed this. <laughs> I showed this to the young people a long, long time. You guys remember it? You remember it? Some of them remember it. It's a poem um, by... <laughs> It's not like the poem that we know, like oh, everything has to rhyme, and not like that. Uh, it's called Spoken Word, and it talks about almost Christians. I want you to listen, and I want you to listen intently, okay? Don't look at your phones. In fact, turn off your phones, and I want you to listen intently to this video. All right, now you can play. One of the most dangerous terms in English diction. If it could be translated into audio, it would sound like <laughs> from the saxophone of Lisa Simpson. Two words designed and strategically combined to form the biggest oxymoron in the history of mankind. Almost. But see, as far as the world's concerned, you could live your life foul and could almost get away with murder if you have a nice smile. You could almost meet folks just to almost sleep around and stop at your local clinic Well, you almost had a child. See, almost is no stranger to Satan. Here's proof. 
He only tells lies when they're almost the truth, and it's amazing. In our incompleteness, we find complacence. But if almost is one of Lucifer's many traits, then we are inadvertently good as Satan impersonations. But on the contrary, Christ did his job fully, and he proved he was God when he died on the cross like it was his duty. And to pardon my iniquities that I committed rudely, he resurrected from the grave just to tell death to excuse me. But excuse me, this is your life and that's something I can't impose on. But your body is God's home which wasn't loaned to get foreclosed on. See an almost Christian looks right but lives wrong. And Romans, so they sit down to be comforted in Psalms. <laughs> Never understood worship, but love to sing songs like I surrender all most. for you to spend your life on something that doesn't appeal to your five senses see nowadays Christianity's like a Louis rag no functional use but we just rock it because it's stylish not righteous but right ish so now all God sees is a pile of Ishmael's when he intended for Isaac's. And we're, we're moved by how we feel, so we're saved when we feel like it. So technically we've never really been saved, we've merely tried it. So no wonder why we're never sold out when we return it after we buy it now. Let me break it down because you need to beware that your life could lack the very standards that need to be there. Because on that final day of judgment, while God's receiving his heir, will he say, son, well done, or medium rare? Because even by worldly standards, it'll be highly insane for you to start spending all of your money days before you almost get paid like parents. You wouldn't send your kids to a school that's almost safe. And ladies, would you really date a man who claims he's almost straight? <laughs> is unprofitable to you because after all the Sunday services Bible studies and prayer meetings and everything that goes between God will say I never knew you but that's not even the worst part of living your life as neutral it's that you were once arctic but it's your warmness that is causing him to spew you and this is the very thing that had me I was bound and held down by the unforgiving gravity of my spirit. 
I was a Christian, or at least I portrayed the fantasy with a filthy personal life, but uh, God bless you, brother. How you doing, sister? Personality. I was a male, enveloped by guilt because I was stamped a sinner. I said, I was a male, enveloped by guilt because I was stamped a sinner. My message couldn't be received because I didn't represent the sender, yet I was almost delivered. <laughs> Till that one day that I totally, absolutely, and completely surrendered, I took heed to a modern prophet who proclaimed it was time for change. Now I'm no longer bound to sin, point blank, off the chain. You could ask Umar Abdul Mutalib. He'll tell you the same. You don't almost go to jail when you almost blow up a plane. Like you don't almost go to hell when you almost get saved. Despise the cross that he was slain and thus the cause in which he came. But don't worry, I'm almost done. But before I leave this stage, we have all worked in sin and death was minimum wage. I said, we've all worked in sin and death was minimum wage. But if it wasn't for Christ, we would have almost got paid. <laughs> I hope I hope you did. Uh, I know it's bato bato sa langit. Ultimately, true Christianity is all about surrender. Um, faith in Jesus is all about surrender. Um, think about it. A saving faith calls a person to entrust his or her life to Christ, so that even after death, that person has hope of being resurrected to be with Christ for eternity. Here's a problem with almost Christians. They say they have faith in Jesus and therefore have entrusted their life to Jesus and have hope for eternal life. But yet they can't entrust or surrender their finances, their time, their children, their job. You guys fill in the blank. That's perfect. Because I almost got my point across. Until you all got distracted. <laughs> wow. Is everybody's thing going? It's the rapture? What's going on? Whose car is that? Somebody's car is beeping here. There we go. Whoever car that was. You don't have to say. It's okay. Let me repeat what I said. Okay. Ultimately, true Christianity is all about surrender. Faith in Jesus is all about surrender. If you think about it, a saving faith calls a person to entrust his or her life to Christ so that even after death, that person has the hope of being resurrected to be with Christ for eternity. Now here's the problem with almost Christians. They say they have faith in Jesus and therefore have entrusted their life, eternal life, to Jesus and have hope for eternal life. But yet can't entrust or surrender finances, time, children, jobs, 
fill in the blank. All most Christians are willing to bet their eternity on their faith in Christ, yet can't submit to the will of God. In other words, can't trust God when it comes to certain aspects of their lives. They trust Christ to have full control over their future eternity, but when it comes to their present lifestyle, they want full control and freedom to do whatever they want. These almost Christians, I believe, reflect the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted it all. He wanted the plagues to stop, but also wanted to keep the Israelites to himself. And so in desperation, he manages to try and bargain with Moses. Pharaoh didn't fully surrender to the demands of God through Moses. He just tried to almost give in to the demands. Meanwhile, holding back something in order to get what he really So what does, it, what, what does it mean to be fully in when it comes to Christianity? Do I really have to, um, you know, be at church 24-7, go to all the Bible studies, go to... What does it mean to, to be that? Well, at its root, it's just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says at its root. And when we say we do believe, what comes after that? I don't know. How do I know what God's will is for me when it comes from me living my life as a Christian? Well, start off with the will of God that is in the Bible. His revealed will for you. First, His revealed will for you is to be saved, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, accept Him as your Lord and Savior, believe in Him. That's the number one thing. What else is revealed in the Scriptures uh, as far as God's will for us? It's very simple. Go back to Sunday school. Read your Bible. We, we all know that. But we just almost all do it. <laughs> we know that. But if there, there are some Christians who just hate studying. They just don't like it. Are you? Are you a Christian or an almost So the challenge for us is he, here is to take a closer look at ourselves, more specifically for that thing in our lives that we are holding back from God. For most of us, it's our time. Right? For some of us, when we're on vacation, we're on vacation. <laughs> from everything. Even our being Christian. That's the, that's the biggest challenge for us. Look at ourselves. What is it that we are holding back? What is it that you are holding back from God, like Pharaoh, to get what you want? Because God is continuously yelling at us through some difficult circumstances that some of us may, may or may not be facing right now. question is, do you hear him pleading with you? How long will you humble yourself? How long... Will you surrender? Do you hear that? Do you trust that even in difficult situations that he has allowed us to face, that he's ultimately still good? And that his purpose for the suffering and pain that we are experiencing is really for us to know him more? Do you see that? Do we see him as faithful and true? Are we sensitive to God's guidance to fully surrender all aspects of our lives to him? 
and be humble enough to recognize anything in our lives that we are still holding back from Him. Sometimes it hurts to see that. For me, it's time. And just like what I said in prayer meeting, it's money. Time and money. Or you, 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 I can fool myself into saying, but yeah, I give. I don't just give to church, I give everywhere else. But what about how you spend? Does your spending reflect your faith in God? Does your spending reflect uh, God as being number one in your life? For me, I can say no, it, it doesn't. But do I have hope? Yes, I do. Because just like it took me 40 years to finally go on diet, it's probably going to take me another 40 years to finally get the spending part. <laughs> but I'm still hopeful that I will. Are we sensitive to God's guidance to us? My prayer is that everything that we have seen so far in the last nine plagues, everything that we have taken up so far, uh, my prayer is for us not to continue to live like Pharaoh. Let's humble ourselves and fully surrender our lives to God through faith in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And my hope is that we will all continually grow to become fully Christian, not just almost Christians. Let's all ask God for the grace to let go of the things that we are still holding on to and let Him have full control over all aspects of our lives. Amen. Gracious, gracious, gracious.